uh, if you guys do not know, uh, man, I, I think it was uh, like three years back, God had challenged my wife and I with the same, the, the same call to live out the gospel in a way where we would get in life, that we would reach out and, and, and love on the child that's, that was in a hard place. And uh, just this past, uh, uh, last year, we were blessed not only to have fostered Chasen, but also now to have adopted Chasen. And if you know Chasen, he's a little, he's, he's, a, he, he's a little ball of fire that just runs around here with high energy. He is not bad. He's just active. Amen. We call him active Chasen. Uh, he's just active. You know, he's, he, he's a blessed child, man. But man, I, I, I would have never thought that I would love a child uh, so deeply that, was, that did not come from the womb of my wife or from my seed. Man, but, man, Buddy has changed our lives, and we get a chance daily to exercise the love for him that God has for us. So if you're really thinking about that, it would be a great endeavor. Uh, for you to jump in and to and, and just to see what the Lord might be might be stirring in your heart. So with no f- further ado, let me just pray f- for myself, and then we'll get into uh, God's word this morning. Father, I thank you for this opportunity that you have granted me as your son, approved and, and accepted by you given the grace to make much of you through your word this time. And so, Father, I pray that you would do just that through me, that, that, that through the power of your spirit, that, that you would use me, God, to, to point sons and daughters, and yet those who don't know you, that even this morning that they may come to know you through the proclamation of your gospel. Uh, we thank you. We celebrate your faithfulness in our lives. We celebrate your goodness in our lives. We just ask now, God, that you would, God, that you would manifest your power now in our lives and in our hearts, God, that God, that you may draw this morning, make this setting, this time uh, possible. Now, deepen our love for you. Grow our desire for you and to love people the same. Uh, I do ask, plead for it in your son's name. Amen. If you are new here at Omni, we've been going through the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 5, verses seven, uh, 5 through 7. Uh, it's been titled, uh, 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 this series is, is titled, Living Upside Down. And by looking at Matthew, chapter 5, verses uh, through 7, uh, which is called the Sermon on the Mount, we have been looking at Christ, who is the greatest preacher, preaching the greatest sermon, they say, in the Bible. It is in this portion of Scripture where Christ himself, he is teaching his eternal siblings. Eternal siblings. You and I, those who who live on earth, yet we are citizens in, we are, we are, uh, we are, citizens in heaven, that how to live out this life that is upside down. Uh, we've read through one, through 1 through 17, and so today we'll be in verses 17, uh, 17 to 20. Uh, we read up earlier as we covered the Beatitudes that, that Christ was speaking in the third person. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who 
were meek. Then you drop down to verse 10, he goes then to second person. For you are blessed if you are persecuted. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. But now we're going to go into verse 17 where he goes from third person, second person. Now he's speaking in first person. That Christ Himself is now uh, about to speak about something that that man that I think man, that I hope that today would really bless our souls. If you don't get any portion of Scripture in this uh, 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 in this section of Scripture, verses 17 through 20 is critical for you uh, for for you to grasp and understand uh, the rest of this sermon. If you don't get this, you're going to miss the entire uh, meaning and purpose of why Christ is preaching this sermon. In it, he's going to declare these, these little phrases of I say to you or I tell you. That he's going to really inform us throughout the scripture using these phrases I say to you. What, 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 what others might be saying that is false He's now going to be correcting how they've added to what God had declared in the Bible. So looking at verses 17 through 20, I'm going to break it up in two ways. Christ in his mission and, all, and then Christ in his message. Now looking at these, uh, these four verses, they'll be broken up as such. Let's look at Jesus and his mission by looking at by reading verses uh, 17 and verses 18, Christ himself says this, don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest until all things are accomplished. Now, what is Christ saying here? Now, look at those first four words. Don't think that I. Now, what I have not mentioned, I'm going to now mention, there's, there is the crowd of people gathering around to hear this, this, this Messiah, this coming Messiah, lay down the gospel. Now, in this crowd, there are his disciples, but also in this crowd, are those who are called scribes and Pharisees. And by this time, you got these scribes and Pharisees who have their eye on Christ. They've been watching him do all kinds of things, breaking what they perceived was the Sabbath. Like he is, he's not upholding the law. He's breaking the law. So they're going around proclaiming and teaching that Christ, the self-proclaimed rabbi, is not upholding the law. And Christ, in this text, he's about to set them straight. He says, not only do I, have I come to uphold it, I've come to fulfill it. I've come to bring what you guys have taught and what you guys know. I've, I've come to bring it to its fullest meaning to carry it out. In order to complete it. See, this was the very mission of why Christ came. He says, don't think that I came 
So now you have the incarnation. You have the word who came to fulfill the word. Now, his mission is simple. It is to carry out the law and to accomplish all that's within the law. Now, the law can be seen in two ways. There, you have, there, there is the standard of law, which is the Ten Commandments. And then there, there is the system, sacrifices or ceremonies that offer sacrifices and offerings up until Christ coming. Now, as Christ lived this perfect law, he fulfilled every demand of the standard of, that is, the Ten Commandments of the law. That he did not break one commandment from beginning, uh, from, from his birth to now, but also he's going to fulfill every sacrifice that pointed to him. Every burnt offering, every meal offering, every sin offering, every peace offering, all those offerings that they, that they offered back then simply pointed to him. And he said, I have come to fulfill all that that pointed towards me. The rich symbolism that we read in Leviticus, which for many, is the most driest, driest book. But when you think about it and how it highlights Jesus, it's a change how you read the book of, of Leviticus. All of these offerings, they point to Christ. Look what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 10. It says this, every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away sins. They offer, and y'all still act crazy. But this man, this man Christ, after Offering one sacrifice for sins forever at the right hand, uh, 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 forever set down at the right hand of God. He is now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. Look at verse 14. For by one offering, God, this is, this, is, this, is, this, this is glorious. For by one offering, he, Christ, has perfected forever those who are sanctified, yet while being sanctified. That through the offering of Christ, though we've been justified by faith and we've been changed by faith, Never forget that while you are being sanctified because of Christ's offering, you are fully sanctified. So he saved you, true, justified, once and for all. He's now saving you, true. He's making you more like Christ. But he says, in all of that, because of what he did for you at the cross, God the Father sees you as fully Sanctified from start to finish because of Jesus. That is good news. But even as I mess up, and we all do, because of what Christ did one time, God the Father said, you are set apart forever, and that can't be undone. And y'all, listen, it's this key because if, if you try to read the Old Testament 
which I'm going to say today is, is the cup. This is the cup. I'm saying this here cup is the Old Testament. And my left hand is some good tweed coffee. Tweed coffee. This cup serves no purpose without the, the, the tweed coffee. Uh, it's, it's, it's a cup with no purpose. But, 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 it, but if the cup does not grasp even the coffee, it still has lost its purpose. The goal and aim of this cup is to hold the, the coffee that is formless in this bottle. By itself, Coffee is formless. You can't, you can't grasp it. So you need a cup to grasp it, to enjoy the coffee in the cup. Y'all saying, why is he going through all of that? In order to grasp the fullness of Jesus, you need the Old Testament. Every temple, every sacrifice, every priest, every prophet, every offering, it all pointed to him. And for many Christians, not any of you in here, when you read the Old Testament, it's such a dead and boring book. But the Old Testament, it flashed a huge light on Jesus that you can't grasp who he fully is without knowing the Old Testament. You can't enjoy him without first understanding why he is. Now listen, listen. When you read the Old Testament, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to challenge you, man, to, to rethink how you read the Old Testament because Christ said that the, the law and the prophet, that, that is the complete the, the complete Old Testament is referring back to me. Christ says of himself in Luke chapter 20, uh, 24, uh, uh, verse, uh, uh, Luke 24, verse 44, he told them, these are my words that, that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be Fulfilled. There it is again, his mission. His mission is to fulfill everything that Moses, uh, Jeremiah, Zol, uh, uh, Joel, Amos, all the end of Psalms, that all of those are written and pointing you guys to me, that you're not to read the Old Testament and not desire me. Let me break it down more for you. In Genesis we see Christ as the seed coming from the woman who will crush Satan's head. In Exodus, we, we, we see Christ as the Passover lamb who will one day uh, offer up himself as a sacrifice for us as the lamb of God. In Leviticus, we see the high priest making over and over sacrifices that does not prevent people from, from sinning. But it shows us how Christ, 
who is our high priest, will become the perfect sacrifice, dealing with our sins for good and final. In the book of Deuteronomy, Jesus is the great prophet that Moses talks about in chapter 18. In the book of Joshua, Jesus, he is the host, he is the captain, we see the Lord host met by Joshua. In the book of Judges, we see leaders who are called to redeem, direct, and to lead God's people. Whereas Jesus, he, he'll be the eternal judge and leader of all people. In the book of Ruth, we see Boaz as Ruth's kinsman redeemer, yet pointing us to Christ, who would be the ultimate kinsman redeemer. In the book of Psalms, we see Christ as the long-awaited Messiah in our good shepherd. In the book of Kings, he is the, uh, 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 we see the glory of God filling God's temple. And in, in the book of Chronicles, we see this glorious king coming to fill that temple, who is Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. In the book of Ezra, we see Christ as the Lord of our fathers. In the book in the book of Jeremiah, he is the weeping prophet. In the book of Isaiah, he is the suffering servant and the one born of a virgin. In Joel, he is the hope of all people. In Amos, he is Christ, the one who's judge, who's coming to judge all nations. In the book of Obadiah, he warns us of his of Christ's eternal kingdom coming. To judge in Zephaniah, he puts us to Christ, who is the king over all Israel. In Zechariah, he is the prophet that, that rides in on a donkey. In Malachi, he is the one whom he calls the son of righteousness. When you read the Old Testament, And you leave out the one whom the Old Testament is pointing us to. Sometimes we might leave the Bible, the Old Testament, like the Pharisees. Again, the entire Old Testament points towards Jesus as Savior. And if you miss this, you will miss the important point of scriptures. If you believe in the absolute authority and inspiration of scriptures, and you don't understand how to read it with this kind of lens, with a, with a Christocentric lens, you miss out on the sweetness of God's word because you miss the one whom they are referring to. I have a question. When you read the Bible, how do you read the book of Kings? How do you read the book of Leviticus? How do you read the book of Obadiah? How does that stir your soul if you, if you don't understand who they are writing about? Jesus fulfilled the tiniest part of the law and accomplished everything in it. From, the Bible says, the smallest letter or one stroke of the law. The law was kept perfectly by Jesus. Not just the 10, but the 613 edicts that were, that, that surrounded around those 10 commandments. 
in all its penalties and curses, God's calls brought by God's people, Christ that the law demanded. And he accomplished all of this when we read the words found in John 19.30. It is finished. He said that every law, every edict that was written by, centered around the Ten Commandments, I completed it. And here's my question again. If he fulfilled it, why are you trying to do it? That was his mission, not your mission. And his mission, you will see next, made it possible now for us to really enjoy and follow God through the, uh, through his law. So look at what it says here in, uh, uh, in verses 19 to 20. Now, now, that was the mission that Christ himself, he fulfilled all of Scripture, all of it. it, it it's complete. It's done. It's satisfied. But now listen to his message. It says in verse 19, Therefore, Whoever breaks one of the least of these commands, whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, here it is, you would never get into the kingdom of heaven. Now, I just highlighted for you in, in, in verses 17 and 18 that Christ, he fulfilled the law, here it is, so that we could follow the law. Now, when it comes to a Christian today following God's law, it's simply because we have now, we live by his spirit. We, we, follow, we follow the law, but we're not under the law. That in Christ, we've been set free now to live the law. Matter of fact, the law is a good thing. Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, that the law is good for those who use it lawfully. See, see, as a son and daughter, as, a, as an eternal sibling of the Father who knows God and, and the one true Savior whom he has sent, man, we are able to live by the law with joy because we live out the law in Christ. And we, and we don't live out the law in our flesh. So for us, man, the law, it is a good thing. The law, it reflects the heart and character of God. The, the law is good. So we, as his sons and daughters, we are to fully appreciate the place of the law and its, and its precepts as, as God uses his word, his law, to both convict us and conform us into the likeness of Jesus. The law, it still serves a purpose. Paul says even in Romans 15, the law is good. I'm bad. It just, it just reveals how much I need Jesus. But that should not stop me from following the law. It's because I'm in Christ. I should, I should desire to please God by living as a God the law of God. But if I ever try to actually fulfill it or bring it to its completion, we all will fail miserably. When it comes to the law, we don't relax 
or break it. But we rest in Jesus and are built up by obeying the law to the glory of God. To say it a different way, we delight and keep the law because we delight and are kept by Jesus. Let me say it again. We delight and keep the law because we delight and are kept by Jesus. So even when we fall short of the law, it's not that we are holding on to him. It's that he is holding on to us. But not so much the Pharisees and the scribes. He says in verse 20, and here is, the, here is his thesis statement of this entire sermon. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Listen to me on this. This is your right deeds, your right doings supersede the scribes and Pharisees. You will never get into God's kingdom. Now, let me highlight for you the jobs of the of scribes and Pharisees. Number one, the scribes. The scribes had a profession of this. They, they would write the law. They would study the law. They even wrote commentary concerning the law. They would give their full days to studying, writing, and even dictating commentaries over the law. If you fast forward now to, the, to these Pharisees, y'all, this, this, when I studied this, this blew my mind and it melted my heart, but it led me to praising God for Christ. The Pharisees were a separate sect. They were a strict sect of people who were devoted to keeping the entire law of God externally, not internally. They were put on a show to have, you thinking that they, they got it going on. But y'all, let me give you a, a, a history of those who lived in the home of a Pharisee. Did you guys know that by the age of two, they would take a scroll, put honey on a scroll, have the son of the house to lick the honey off of the scroll so, he or she, so that he might uh, 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 experience Psalm 119, 103. How sweet are the words of my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. They would put honey on a scroll to have, the, have that two-year-old to lick the honey to say, man, the word of God is sweet to my soul. By the age of four, they would start memorizing the book of Leviticus. Age of four. By the age of 12, they had Genesis through Deuteronomy memorized verbatim. Twelve. By a teenager, they had, they had memorized uh, 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 the prophets and the Psalms. <laughs> and Christ is saying, unless what you're doing exceeds them, you will never get to heaven. But not only that, they, when you became a Pharisee, 
every morning, noon, and night, no, no matter where you were, whether you was in Walmart, at uh, uh, pumping gas, or even in a restaurant, they would stop and pray wherever they were. They never, they prayed three times a day all day long. They tied off of everything they received, even herbs and spices. They didn't give off the, uh, many of us, we want to give, we, we want to tie it off the, uh, not the gross, but the, uh, the, the net. No, they tied it off, off of the gross. Keep that in mind. They immersed themselves in scripture, in prayer, and tithe. They shut that food twice a week to seek God. And Jesus says, unless what you do exceeds what they do, you will never get to heaven. <laughs> he says again, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into heaven. That was the message of Jesus as he preached to the crowds at the Sermon of the Mount. So what is Jesus saying? That we should memorize the first five books of the Bible? How many of us in here have the book of Leviticus memorized? How many of us how many of us have the smallest book in the Bible, Obadiah, memorized? He's a small prophet. These guys had all of these, had all of these things done. So the question is, is Jesus asking us to do more and to know more than the scribes and Pharisees? to enter into the kingdom of God. And I submit to you, no, he's not. That's not the greater or the exceeding righteousness that he is describing here. Listen, the Pharisees could quote you all those books of the Bible but they couldn't identify whom the Old Testament spoke of. They had Genesis 3.15 memorized that the seed of the woman would come and he would crush his hand. He's standing right there in the midst and they want to stone him because they don't believe that he is the one whom the Bible talks about. They had memorized Psalm 23. They, they knew the Lord is my shepherd, and I said not wrong. They didn't see as Christ being the good shepherd. They didn't see that he was actually in their midst. They didn't see that the one that, that Moses asked to God, who shall I tell them that sent me? They didn't see Christ as I am, that I am. That he was in their midst. And with all that Bible, they still didn't know Jesus. You can tithe and not know Jesus. 
You can know your Bible and not know Christ. You can pray and not know Christ. You can share the Bible and not know whom you're sharing about. He's not talking about that. He's not saying do more, but no, do less. Better yet, do nothing and come up behind it. Because, just listen, the, what he is referring to here is the righteousness found solely and only in Jesus. Jesus was not placing some impossible demands on his followers. He didn't want he didn't want them. He didn't want them to know more with their mind and do more with their hands. No, receive me in your heart. He wanted them to receive the exact righteousness that we found in Jesus. Now he wanted to. He wanted to impart or impute that to them. The Bible says this: For your sake, He God made Him Christ, who uh, 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 to be sin, who knew no sin, so that so that in Him you might become the righteousness of God. The greater righteousness referred to in Matthew 20 is not produced through works of any kind, but is imputed to us by faith in a God who is kind. Let me say it again. The greater works, the exceeding works that he is referring to in this text is not produced through what you do. The best of what you do isn't enough to satisfy God. You can't satisfy. You can't please a holy and just God. So stop. You would never fulfill the law. You would never want the law out. You would never do it. But we trust in the one who's done it for us for his glory. You'll never do it. He said, so why not trust in the sinless and spotless lamb that I sent to die on your behalf and for the good of your soul? Why? So that God, who is holy and just, would see us and see the righteousness of his son in us that he might be completely pleased and satisfied with us. God, the holy and just God, is saying to his seven daughters, stop trying to please me with your works. You can't impress me enough. You can't pray long enough. You can, you can know the Bible from front to back and not know the, whom the Bible from front to back is about and be lost. There are people that's coming to church services who are going to hell because they think that coming to church will save them. But if I do enough good, I'll be saved. No, no, no. You're saved because of the finished work of Jesus. I'm asking you to, to rest in his righteousness and abandon your pride. 
and become and remain poor in spirit. Remain a beggar, pleading and praising God for his mercy and grace. Stay poor that he can make you rich. Saints, many of us, we, we come to God trying to please God with our own efforts. And he says, you can't do that. You can't do it. Your best works without Christ are worse for They would still send you to hell. Jesus Christ, the one who lived a perfect life from, from the manger to the cross, the one who we know who fully satisfied God. How do you know? Because he got up from the grave. <laughs> and him getting up from the grave it satisfied God so much that, that it, it actually removed the wrath that belonged to us and in that he gave us his righteousness. Do you not know that because of your trust in Jesus, you are as righteous as Jesus? Let us hear that in we young. <laughs> okay. Tell me something different. Shouldn't that blow our minds? Shouldn't that warm our hearts? Shouldn't that stir our affections? Because you know the Father who's holy looked down on you in Christ. He says, righteous. I see. No sin. Because of the blood of Jesus. I can't live up to the Pharisee standards. I don't fast twice a week. Want to. But I fail. Even when I start, I, I fall short. Amen. I, I get hungry. I get some candy. God forgive me. I, I, I just can't do it. I just, I just, I can't, I I can't please him and of myself. And I'm telling you, you can't either. The old, there's an old hymn that says this. I'm going to close. It says, our, all our sins were laid on Jesus. Jesus bore them on a tree. God who knew them laid them on him. And believing we go free. When we believe in Jesus, he says, give me your sins. Take my righteousness and go free with it. No more shame. No more guilt. No more condemnation. No more. Because Christ has Set you free. On the board, there are ways for you to, to, to reflect and to really let this truth just grab a hold of your, of your soul. But let me close with reading this text over you. Will you please close your eyes? Let me just read this text over you. I, I, I want to read it slowly over you. And pray, man, that God would, man, would, would drive you deep into the, uh, uh, in, into the bottom of your soul. Romans chapter 3, verse 8. I mean, Romans chapter 8, verse 3 
says this, for God has done what the law, weakened by your flesh or the flesh, could not do. By sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin, he, God, condemned your sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. All that the law required because of Christ is fulfilled, it's complete, it's satisfied. He's pleased with you who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Father God, we thank you and we love you. Let this truth. Gravitate, let it grasp our hearts. I ask it in Christ's name, amen.